All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on the 18th day of May, 2021. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to invite you uh, to keep your questions, any comments or questions you might have about this show, send them on to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions number four, taylor at gmail.com. And, of course, we do want to thank our sponsors. Uh, they make this show possible. Our sponsors for this week, Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp., El Oro Resources, Irving Resources, Han and Metals, SK Mining Corp., Firefox Gold, and Lion One Metals. I titled today's show, Preparing for the Best of Times and the Worst of Times. Kevin Duffy and Chen Lin return, and Carl Lofberg of Firefox Gold visits me during the second segment of today's show. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief, it was the epoch of credulity. It was a season of light, it was a season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. That famous quote from Charles Dickens seems to describe the views of Kevin Duffy, who, seems, who sees both enormous social upheaval and poverty straight ahead, but at the same time sees the hockey stick of human prosperity also into the future. Naturally, we want to know how Kevin is preparing his life and his investment portfolio now, given his views. If a period of darkness is staring us in the face now, how do we get through it, those hard times, so that we can reach the good times? Those are the topics that I will want to discuss with Kevin when he joins me during the second half of today's show. One of my favorite exploration stocks in my newsletter and one that I have in my own personal portfolio is that of Firefox Gold, which is one of just a handful of junior gold exploration companies that have pretty much locked up mineral claims in Finland's Lapland Greenstone Belt. Unlike the Abitibi Greenstone Belt in Quebec, the Lapland is now only starting to be explored and developed. And production has begun there with the Agnigo Eagle, for example. A few other larger companies are there. Uh, but as far as the juniors go, on the massive amount of exploration potential, there's only a handful of companies, uh, including Firefox Gold, that are there to, uh, to really explore this vast greenstone belt. Again, a greenstone belt that is definitely uh, has gold, lots of gold there, but is only now starting to be explored. Uh, anything like the, uh, the Abitibi in Quebec was explored. So Carl Lofberg of uh, Firefox Gold will be with me right after our first commercial break 
uh, to give us a vision of the exploration prospects for Firefox. Uh, but with me right now to give us some of his thoughts about the markets uh, that are most important to listeners in this show is my good friend Chan, uh, Chan Lin. Uh, he's the author of What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And you can subscribe to Chen's letter by going to chenpicks.com, chenpicks.com. Thank you so much for joining me, Chen. Thank you, Jay. Glad to be here. It's good to have you with me. And, um, I, you know, sometimes you and I, we sort of discuss what, what you might like to talk about. I left it open to you. Uh, why don't you just go ahead and, and tell our listeners what, what's on your mind? What do you think is most important and what are you focusing on at this point in time? Right. Yeah, that's a very good question. Right now, the key question really among all investors is inflation. Right? We have a very hot inflation last month, and then next month, early June, we probably will be very nervous moment again. Remember, they will have a very sharp, sharp drop of the market early this month due to the hot inflation. CPI, mm-hmm. especially CPI, Consumer mm-hmm. Price Index. So this month, if this month is hot again, watch out. Right, mm-hmm. that's the key. That's something really in my mind. Uh, we are we really in the runaway inflation, or this is just transitory? Mm-hmm. But so far, okay, I can tell you my the evidence I saw is this is likely transitory. Uh, let me tell you why. Uh, because I saw the China's data. China about the six to twelve months ahead of us. About this time last year, China was running pretty hot inflation. Okay, PPI mm-hmm. was negative, but CPI was quite high because of the stimulus. So in mm-hmm. about six months, stimulus burned out, so the CPI started to drop. So mm-hmm. even right now, PPI is very high because of the material going high. The CPI is still below 1% because of you know the stimulus already burned out. So mm-hmm. if that's true, that's probably pointing to United States probably peak, you know, those inflation may be around, you know, Q3 or Q4 uh-huh. sometime. We'll mm-hmm. see. I mean, so, but the good thing is we can continue watch China, continue monitor, you know, how, how they're doing. And then we see may, what may happen in the United States. So we will watch this next this month's data, which is happening next month in both the United States and China. So mm-hmm. I, that's why I don't buy into Goldman's call, like, oh, you go to 100, as a matter of that I sold all of my oil ju- major, no, now I'm junior, all the majors mm-hmm. I sold, and very nice profit. I bought buying and selling most of the refiner, buy at the low, sell at high uh, quite three or four times in the past year. I'm out of them. Uh, the next is copper. Copper also is very hot on Wall Street, and but also my concern, maybe it's too hot, right? I got into copper quite a few months ago, if you recall, and I'm sitting on very nice profit. So this right now, the largest copper mine is Candida, uh, is mm-hmm. looking for in Chile, is going to about to strike. They already voted 97% to strike. Government mm-hmm. mandatory mediation about five to ten days. So that may happen the end of this week or next week. Uh, and then Chile may impose up to 80% tax on copper. That's what really going to hammer the copper Ooh. industry. So all these things may happen in the next one to two weeks. That probably will drive copper to five dollars. That's my guess. Okay, that would be a perfect time to sell. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm sitting on a lot of profit. <laughs> I'm looking to sell. Uh, yeah, I have a copper future and also have a copper major like Freeport and Hot Bay and quite a few different things, right? So I mentioned my newsletter. So I'm, I'm thinking to take profit. So that's but not junior, junior because junior more on the uh, uh, long term copper. I think the long term right. copper season is probably still. Intact, but then we may if if those two indi- you know, 
come, uh, catalyst come, uh, it will have a spike. It could be the high of the year. I mean, I will be happy mm-hmm. to take profit and wait for the CPI of this month, <laughs> which will come in uh, quite a few weeks. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. So, uh, so it's quite a nervous market. The market go up and down and quite volatile. So that's, at least this is what I'm seeing right now as of today. I gave everybody honest opinion what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. So it can change in a few weeks, but uh, let's see. Let's, let's play this, uh, this market. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I wonder, Chen, um, you talk about China and the influences China has on those markets. It's certainly, uh, it's the elephant in the room these days. China's markets are so big and there's still need for raw materials and so forth. But I'm wondering, uh, the United States with the Biden administration is spending money like drunken sailors at the same time. Those finances, those deficits that are just out, you know, unbelievably great are going to have to be financed. Uh, you know, when Trump came in, there was, I think, the the U.S. debt went to $22 trillion. It's closer to $28 trillion or something like that yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the the ability to allow interest rates to rise is still an issue, is it not? And can't we sort of count on the Fed to put a lid on the inflation, on the interest rates? Because if interest rates start to rise too much, it's going to cause an awful lot of trouble in the, in the asset markets. Uh, certainly exactly. in the uh, interest. So. That's the thing. That's the thing we are, I'm looking at very closely. Uh, if we have a runaway inflation, that will be very negative. You know, it's time to run. I mean, run away mm-hmm. from most of the thing. Uh, you know, we recently already saw Bitcoin start to crash. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of assets could be in danger if, we, if the interest rate continues to run. So that's inflation. If the inflation really goes, out of control. Uh, mm-hmm. So far, what I see is transitory, but I change my mind if uh, data, you know, doesn't agree with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, we, we need to be able to change our minds, that's for sure. Chen, let me ask you, is that, uh, the biotechs, you sort of indicated to me before we went live here, that they are probably uh, bottoming out, or you think they may have bottomed out here. How do biotechs, how do you expect some of these biotechs would do in a higher interest rate environment? Oh, it's probably not so good, okay? Most of the assets will not do very well in the higher interest rate, except maybe commodity. <laughs> so, uh, but biotech most sensitive to political, geopolitical thing, right? So yeah. when Biden announced they will cancel the patent for the vaccine, that's every biotech won't went down, everyone. Mm-hmm. So there's no indiscriminate selling in the past few weeks. And finally... Mm-hmm start to rebound, okay? The, if you look at the index, you look at the chart, IBB seems to have found a solid support, about 200-day moving average, and now it's on the way up. So uh, mm-hmm. today, actually, a very good day for biotech. Almost everything goes up. <laughs> so, so you can see those, uh, those, uh, those companies, small companies, uh, they don't synchronize, move up and down together. Of course, I'm looking for catalysts, individual catalysts. If you yes. hit, you, you probably have outperform all the other biotech. So that's what I'm right. hoping. And we have ASCO in a few weeks. That could be a, a very interesting uh, catalyst conference conventions. You know, one, one, one of the key conferences where all the companies show up what they have done in cancer research. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, I know you'll be keeping your subscribers well aware of that. But I have to ask you, a company like Amaris, which I'm watching because I find it just a fascinating company, uh, synthetic chemistry, being able to isolate certain molecules and then replicate and manufacture those synthetically with, with amazing, amazing potential. I have to think that no matter what the markets are doing, 
if uh, if a company has some breakthrough technology that can really enhance people's lives, it's going to do well no matter what the market's like. Do you agree with that? I mean, it oh, could yeah, be influenced. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And like Amherst, they have their catalyst lineup. One of the major, major catalysts is they, if they, it's a patent site with another company. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they can win that, they will control, they can basically grow marijuana out of the uh, cell instead of mm-hmm. growing on the, you plant marijuana, you just mm-hmm. put it in a big tank of cells. So mm-hmm. you, can grow, you can manufacture marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> so that would change. That's very disruptive. That's the key of uh, Amherst, yeah. right? So that happened will base can potentially wipe out the marijuana growers. Think about how much more efficient he can be. So, yeah. uh, so that, that's, that's a disruptive technology. It's more on their its own pace, see how, how, how they're driven. And uh, Amherst high, highly depends on China, actually. They're, uh, they have a lot of um, beauty products, actually, mm-hmm. very popular in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they have something called squalene used to, you have to get a shark, kill shark yes. in the liver. Uh-huh. From that. And uh-huh. now they can, they can manufacture synthetically. So mm-hmm. they're doing very, very well. So, so that's also another thing. And then they're selling very well in China. Uh, they're trying to create their bank brand, you know. So that, that's the thing you need to watch. So it's a little mm-hmm. bit away, but you have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Well, it just seems to me that that's a, Amherst is a company that has the potential in countless different markets. You mentioned the beauty, uh, the beauty uh, I guess, cosmetics and uh, marijuana, but I know there's a lot of other areas, too. It's a fascinating story, and it's one that I'm actually – you know, one of the few biotechs, Chen, that I've really taken the time to try to understand, but it's one that I find is just absolutely fascinating. And one, I thank you for bringing it to my attention. Our son, Scott, started looking at it as well and honed in on it, and uh, he sort of helped me understand as well that this ha- this might have some great potential. So there are always those uh, kinds of uh, companies that can do well no matter what happens. Uh, even in the mining sector, we see sometimes, I've seen down markets where companies that make great discoveries go up when everything else is going down. So there's always markets there that are there. Chen, and no, no one does a better job than you in, in discovering uh, you know, markets that a lot of people don't see. So I'm going to thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us once again. And, uh, well, as always, we uh, we'll want to have you back real soon so we can hear, so we can pick your brain on some more great ideas. Thanks so much for being with us, Chen. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks, we do have to go to break, uh, but don't go away because Carl Lofberg of Firefox Gold will be with me to talk about that company's exploration expectations and uh, plans as this season unfolds. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Carl Lofberg. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time, Carl Luffberg. He is the CEO and a co-founder of Firefox Gold. You can buy Firefox Gold in Canada under the symbol FFOX. You can buy it down here in the States, as I have, under FFOXF. 98.8 million shares outstanding and trading recently at around 24 cents in Canadian money. Gives it a market cap then of around just a little under $24 million in Canadian money. Uh, Firefox Gold is involved in Finland. It's operating in the Lapland Greenstone Belt in Finland. It's a Greenstone Belt that is probably not as explored as thoroughly as others we're more familiar with, uh, like uh, like the one in, in Quebec. Uh, but it is uh, one that is now starting to draw attention and major mining companies starting to get involved there uh, very successfully. So, uh, Carl, I really want to thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. Great you to know, be here. It's really good. And I know you, um, you've been involved for basically for a generation in the exploration business, but it's only recently that things have sort of come alive in, uh, in Finland um, from a major mining perspective anyway. Uh, you, you take a, a, a big picture view of the company. You have something like 11 projects, 11 properties. I think you're going to be drilling on four of them. But uh, but you have you're sort of seeing the big picture, the long term game plan here. Could you ex- uh, explain that to our to our listeners? Because I think it's very important that they understand. You know, so often companies don't really spell out their objectives, uh, the corporate objectives. So maybe we could start with that. Very good. Um, yeah, I've been in the exploration business for well, the better part of a generation, fifteen, sixteen years, but. Um, one thing which I think is interesting is the portfolio management of your own company, like all the properties which you have. Normally, you have a junior, it can have three properties, and if it has more than that, uh, for whatever reason, the audience seems to be a bit confused. And in all reality, we have a number of projects. We're going to always highlight three or four uh, projects in our presentations that we're going to focus the majority of our resources in a given year on three or three or four, four projects but we naturally have a number of, of projects and well i'm very biased to say but i would say that our team is the best in finland including majors to acquiring land so there will be new opportunities a year or two or three years from now so the situation lives the whole time and effectively competitive goal exploration has only begun in finland in the past six years. And Finland's effectively been open for the past 25 years uh, for foreign investment. Uh, uh, foreign companies couldn't invest uh, effectively into Finland. They can own tops 20% uh, of a mineral asset uh, before the mid-90s. But when Finland uh, joined the EU in 1995, after that, uh, foreign companies can effectively own uh, mineral assets. Uh, so even though Finland's been open for 25 years, Lapland hasn't effectively been open for gold exploration until the past six years. 
And uh, there's a slide in our presentation, that slide number nine, where we try to sort of put everything into one picture about the goal exploration in Lapland. Uh, Anniko Eagle bought the Kittila mine 18 years ago, uh, 17 years ago. Uh, and their only aim at the time when they bought it in 2004 was to get the mine into production. They didn't do wide-scale exploration. And they put the mine into production in 2009. So that's the first sort of major modern mine in mm-hmm. Finnish Lapland. Uh, at the same time, completely separately, Anglo-American made uh, a very big base metal discovery, Sakatti discovery, in 2008. And I believe that it's Finland's best ore body. It's better than Otokumpu, where the mining started in Finland. It's, it's rich. Uh, the massive sulfides alone have an in-situ value of more than 15 billion euros. Uh, and uh, overall, our resources is bigger. I've seen the core archives and Anglo. Uh, but uh, effectively, when Anglo take Sakatti uh, in 2008, 13 years ago, Anglo and FQM effectively staked all of Lapland uh, at, the, at that time. So the big base metal companies held Lapland to the sort of end of the last downturn. So effectively, in December of 2014, the Base metal major started to let go of ground. It was depending on who would ask the third or fourth downturn year. And that's when the gold juniors came in. And there's effectively four of us now. S2 started uh, with exploration, uh, made big reservations. And uh, Orion was also uh, involved early on. Uh, I've been running a private prospect generator company in Finland for more than 15 years, Magnus Mineral. So we were active in Lapland on on the base metal side. Mm -hmm. But uh, we had a number of gold prospects as well and effectively uh, vended those into Firefox in 2017. And I've been the CEO of Firefox ever since and actually used my majority of my time on Firefox, Firefox exploration currently. But uh, we were very familiar with Lapland already uh, back then. And uh, also, uh, we've only had one gold major in Finland, uh, only Agnico Eagle. Now we have effectively uh, four others, B2 Gold, King Ross, Newmont, and Centera. And we know that some major, major, major companies have been keeping a very diligent eye on Finland for almost three years. So now we have six majors, and I think that that will have a major impact on our story later on in the decade. Uh, uh, Maybe one other thing about the big picture, if you compare Finland to any other greenstone belt, uh, for instance, Abitibi, any of the greenstone belts which have had two or three generations of exploration, they they effectively have... uh, more than more than 10, more than a million ounce discoveries. Mm-hmm. We in Finland so far have only one, uh, the Kittila mine. But now effectively everybody who's in the business, uh, we understand and know that uh, we have Ikkari as well, Rupert's discovery. And uh, I would say that it's several million ounces. Nobody knows I could be wrong, but I would say that it's several million ounces. So there's two discoveries in Finland. And... Uh, since there's only two majors who have tenements, Agnico and Beatigo, and only four juniors, it's us, Firefox, uh, S2, uh, Orion, and Rupert. And that's it. There's mm-hmm. nobody else. And the uh, 
belt is pretty much pegged. Uh, whatever is not pegged is Natura 2000 protected areas and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you would compare this with any other greenstone belt, there would be two or three dozen companies in any other greenstone belt, roughly. So if you, if you want to use rough math, math, effectively the areas which Firefox had, if we would be in any other greenstone belt where there would have been a generation of exploration and six or eight mines, mm-hmm. I think that uh, the areas which we had would effectively possibly sustain four or six separate junior companies. And we're looking at this like a major would look at it. Uh, we actually had a very long uh, two-hour conversation with Tero Nirana yesterday, one of the top researchers at GTK. We had everybody involved, Rich Goldfarb, uh, Quinton Hennig, uh, naturally Patrick, Sven Mikko, and so on. And we're looking at this truly from a, from a broad perspective. And there's still a lot of debate about how many gold-forming events there's been in Latin and about the exact uh, uh, formation time and so on. So I would say that even if, even if some of the researchers would, would say that uh, it's been sort of extensively researched, I would still say that we're in the early days. We're in the early days. And... Uh, Effectively, uh, what we currently have, we currently have 11 projects, mm-hmm. and I'll actually go briefly through them. Uh, they are on our slide seven in our presentation. Uh, what we are doing is we have a multi-year perspective. We have two valid permits currently in Mostajärvi and in Utsamo, which is effectively between uh, Orient's Christian Launi property. So there we have fully valid permits. We can drill, we can do bottom of field sampling. Uh, we should have the Sarvi permit uh, available and fully uh, ready, hopefully in August or September. And we also have a property uh, in the south uh, eastern part in the Asia project called Saittavara and Katajavara, where we can drill with landowner permission. So what we are currently doing, and I like, I truly, I, we hoped a couple of weeks ago that we would have had the real results for the visible gold already. Unfortunately, we don't have them yet, but we are in our 11th hole. We drilled seven holes in uh, Mostajarvi. We should have the results of any day now. Uh, we will probably release the results uh, in several different batches, have the results for the first two holes as quickly as possible. But we also actually did three short reconnaissance holes in Saittavara, uh, uh, which is sort of, you could call it our third property, uh, on landowner permission. Uh, and we're going to start the sort of next winter's drilling program in four and a half months. It's 11 kilometers, so we're going to naturally uh, continue in Mustajärvi. We're going to do... Uh, uh, diamond drilling in Utsamo, and we're going to do extend, more, more drilling in Katajavara and Saittavara, but also we should have the Sarvi permit uh, valid. Uh, we will do uh, bottom of till sampling there in Q4 this year, and then we'll hit it with, with a diamond drill uh, next winter. So we are effectively uh, focusing now on four properties, but uh, what we will be doing now in the summer uh, you probably, people who have been following us saw that we had a big land grab. We had a number of very big reservations uh, at, at very, very prospective areas in Lapland. It was a very interesting thing for us. Uh, we thought that it would be very competitive, and it, it was in a way, but we were able to secure the 
uh, vast majority of those those uh, prospective tenements. So we did uh, do some mapping on certain of these tenements last summer, but we're going to do a lot of mapping on on uh, uh, Kuusatta, Kolho, Manto, Lehto, Naula, and Nunara this coming summer. And in the summer, we're going to file uh, certain mining uh, permit applications. Some might be filed later on, but there's two uh, bottlenecks in Finland currently. One is that it takes roughly one and a half years to get a tenement, mm. but you can partially also use it into your advantage because you can you can effectively sort of funnel projects through. In reality, if we would have uh, all the 11 projects fully valid, would be paying more than a million euros of landowner payments per year. And the other bottleneck in Finland is that Finland as a whole only has 32 surface drill rigs, the whole country. Mm-hmm. And we just have uh, companies like Rio established them uh, cells here. So we had effectively four major companies in Finland uh, six years ago. Now we have effectively 10 major companies. Mm-hmm. So the drill, drill rig availability is going to really be a big problem for many of the companies if you're not prepared. So even if you would want to advance uh, half a dozen projects, you couldn't. So that's why we sort of funnel things through. And by the end of the day, I, I look at this from a six-year perspective. I have 12 seasons, uh, six summer seasons and week, six winter seasons. Mm. And uh, we hope that by the end of the day, we won't be uh, uh, having one discovery or even two discoveries. Ideally, we would want to have three more than a million ounce discoveries. And uh, if you look at the uh, major company situation, we have three majors in Finland who don't have any tenements. They come to Finland through a strategic investment or a joint venture. Uh, What will happen later on, especially if gold prices are higher or significantly higher than they are now, naturally there's going to be consolidation. So uh, I think that that's, that's uh, our view of, of the land management. If, if you look at uh, Rupert and uh, Orion, they naturally concentrated, Orion's concentrating on Christian Lowry for obvious reasons. They had a good strategy. They did a number of joint ventures, one with B2 Gold and so on, but they are concentrating on two areas. And uh, Rupert, I would say, is to a large part concentrating on area one, uh, where that, I think that there's, it's going to be a major mine, uh, and it's a fantastic thing for everybody here in Finland. I think that all the majors, they've been guessing for 16 years whether whether there's something else than the Kittila mine, and Kittila mine is refractory. They've been guessing, is there anything else? Now everybody knows. Now, now we know that there is something else. Naturally, we've always been of the opinion that there probably is, but Finland is very much under drill, at least for gold in Lapland. Right. So... Uh, uh, that's that's the bigger picture what we are currently doing. Uh, if you would want to, we could briefly take a quick look uh, at the Mustajärvi drilling, what we are currently doing there. Yeah, uh, it needs to be fairly quick, Carl, because uh, we don't have a whole lot of time left. But uh, <laughs> it, it is a big picture. I, I just it seems to me the fact that you have all these majors now that are focusing there, and there are not that many juniors competing with you and you have this huge landmass, you're obviously thinking big. And I know Quentin Henning very well. I know Patrick Highsmith. These yeah. are not guys that want to play around with small projects. 
So you are obviously, uh, you know, looking for something of a grand scale. And uh, this is certainly one of the things that's attracted me to your story. Uh, Actually, uh, people should go to your website because you have a lot of information there and keep track of uh, your ongoing exploration. You will be having, it sounds like you're going to have a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of information coming from the company, from your drilling programs. How many meters of drilling do you plan over the next year the, in your current programs? Do you have a well, – or, 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 or is it flexible? Currently, in this program, we have 2.5 kilometers. Uh, we drill from the second week of um, uh, April – uh, and we're going to drill now to the end of May. So it's roughly 2.5 kilometers. Next winter's drilling program starts on October 1st, uh, lasts for seven months, and it's going to be roughly 10 and a half, 11 kilometers. So over the next, effectively, uh, 11 and a half months, we're going to drill roughly 12 kilometers, and we should have uh, effectively drill results out, if not every month, pretty much every month for the next 14 months. Mm-hmm. And we just did uh, uh, raise 3 million. We have roughly 4 million in the bank. Uh, we do have a number of warrants out, roughly 40 million warrants. Mm-hmm. But uh, the exercise price, uh, average exercise price is roughly 18 cents. Uh, the highest exercise price is 27 cents. Uh, if after the results for the most tired drilling are released, hopefully we'll be trading over 30 cents, we'll get more than 7 million. So we'll have effectively, if the share price is over 30 cents, we'll have 11 million in the bank now. Okay. We don't need any funding for the next 27, 26 months at least. That's good. Very good. Well, I think we're going to have to keep our eyes on this story because, I mean, You've had a couple of pretty, pretty attractive, very attractive results so far. I mean, I'm looking at a 33.25 grams over two meters on, on one of your drill. I mean, these are the kind of numbers that are going to catch the market's attention when they come out. And I think, you know, at your current market price of uh, roughly 24 million Canadian, people really should be paying close attention, given your strong management team and everything else you have. Just real quickly, uh, Carl, there's a closing note that you would like to leave with our listeners? Well, uh, I'm really happy with Sven and Mikko. They've done a tremendous job in the past four months, and I think that Sven's work on Mustervi, and uh, I think that we finally start to understand uh, uh, the structures and so on, hopefully a bit better. So I'm, I'm very keen on releasing the results for Mustervi uh, effectively any, any day now. Uh, so... It's yeah. going to be very exciting. I think that we understand Mustajarvi better, but it's, it's good to remember it's one out of 11 projects. There's going to be more. <laughs> very good, Carl. Well, I'm really excited for your story and about your story. It's why I own the shares and I purchased them down here in the U.S. Uh, it's, a, it's a very exciting story, and I, I think you look at your management team, uh, which is also where you should, any investor should start with management, and you have a good one from what I can see as good as they come among the junior sectors. So thank you so much for spending time with us, Carl, and we'll look to keep up with you going forward in the future. It's really, really good to have you. Thank you so much. All right, folks, well, uh, don't go away. We're going to have to go to a commercial break now, but when we come back, Kevin Duffy will be with us. He is uh, navigating the current tumultuous markets for uh, for his investors. He is a fund manager. Kevin Duffy will have something very important to tell you, so don't go away. We'll be right back. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back, Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me, once again, Kevin Duffy. For those of you who may not know Kevin, he is the principal of Bearing Asset Management, which has co- was co-founded in 2002. Uh, the firm manages Bearing Core Fund, that's a contrary and macro-themed hedge fund uh, with a flexible mandate. Bearing gained notoriety during the great financial crisis by betting against stocks like New Century Financial, Fannie Mae, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, and Kevin wrote extensively on the housing and credit bubble, identifying root causes of the bubble. A month later, he issued a warning in an op-ed for Barron's titled, For Whom Do the Bells Toll? And the Bearing Credit Bubble Index was cited by Mark Faber in his speeches in the Gloom, Doom, uh, Gloom Boom, and Doom Report, which uh, is very well known by Mark Faber. So prior to Bearing... Uh, Kevin co-founded Lighthouse Capital Management and served as the director of research, 1988 to 1999. He chronicled the excesses of the Jap of, of the Japan and technology bubbles of late 1980s and late 1990s, respectively. The firm was later sold to Fisher Investments. So you can see that uh, Kevin has had an extensive background. Uh, he's uh, been able to notice uh, and identify bubbles earlier than most people and. Um, you know, when everybody was saying, don't worry, this time it's different, Kevin wasn't, uh, wasn't seeing the difference and, uh, and obviously benefited in a down market. So we're really happy to have him, especially now when things are looking increasingly shaky right now in the financial markets. Thanks for joining me again, Kevin. Thanks for having me back on, Jay. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always good to, to hear from you. We probably should do it more often. Uh, before we get started, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your service? You do manage money and what kind of investors are you are attracted to your service? Uh, yes. Um, so with uh, with Bearing, we run the Bearing uh, Core Fund, and it's open to accredited investors. Um, I think the most important thing is to have uh, an, an alignment in terms of taking a very uh, long term view. We try to take a uh, a flexible strategy. Um, we're not necessarily trying to hit any home runs in any given environment, but um, but try to uh, survive the current environment, the bubble environment that I believe that we're in, and um, and set ourselves up for opportunities that will will come along over the next uh, several years. Mm-hmm. As, as people as people panic, I think mm-hmm. that's what we're we're heading into is a series of panics. 
with regard to your newsletter, uh, the Coffee Can Portfolio, well, it's uh, called, yeah, the Coffee Can Portfolio is your newsletter. Uh, you, I think every other month you publish it, is that right? Yes, that's correct. And, and uh, people can, where can they go to subscribe to that? They can go to the website, it's thecoffeecanportfolio.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's a, a lot of information on, on the site. And the site as well. And yes. your charges, it's a pretty modestly priced uh, newsletter, I believe. So, Right. Uh, it's $109, and uh, that entitles you to um, six, six issues a year mm-hmm. and uh, also uh, any trading alerts. And we don't wow. do a lot of trading. It's very long-term oriented, right. uh, not a lot of turnover. Right. Okay, well, let's get into uh, – maybe we start out by asking, what bubbles are you seeing now, and how do they compare with some of the last bubbles that you were successful in identifying? Yeah, well, I think you know one of the things that uh, – I, I heard this on a, a podcast. Uh, Diego Paria, I believe is his name, mm-hmm. uh, talked about um, the fact that bubbles have a um, – they, they, they rest on a false belief system. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, or a misconception, and so um, I think what we've had here is a series of of bubbles. Um, let's let's start with uh, with 2000 with the tech bubble, mm-hmm. and the the bubble there was really in the idea of first mover advantage. It really wasn't the internet bubble, it wasn't the dot com bubble, but it was the idea that um, if you had staked out a claim that uh, you were going to survive and you were going to benefit from it, that was the bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the next bubble was the, the, the housing and the credit bubble. Um, the, the misconception there was that real estate always went up or that any, any declines in, in real estate would be, be regional. Um, and then the bubble today, I think the underlying misconception is this idea that uh, the government is the, the solution to all problems. It can, it can solve all problems. So. Um, this bubble is um, is much broader than the previous two bubbles, and um, you know it, it's been called the everything bubble. But I think if if you think about that common um, misconception, then the first thing that I think we need to focus on is what's happening in the bond market. That's probably a pretty good tell that the bond market peaked, I believe, last um, last August, and this year. The um, the TLT, which is uh, has mm-hmm. about an average maturity of 20 years, is down 13 percent. So you know one of the aspects of bubbles that and we can we can get into this I'm sure, but um, you know you start to see the um, this common mis- misconception it gets challenged and it's in some of the more marginal areas where you get the first warning cracks. Mm-hmm. So um, the fact that, that bonds, that U.S. government bonds are, are starting to bleed, is um, that's a sign. That's something that we need to be concerned about. So the, the government bonds, what about the, the junk bonds, the, the riskier things? How are they doing? The riskier things have held up much better um, so far. So far, and you know, Jay, you asked about what what are some of the other areas. Um, you know, I I look at this everything bubble. At the core of it is is a government bubble, very different. You know, the you've had this uh, this huge increase in government debt, um, as opposed to the last bubble was this um, increase in in uh, in mortgage debt. I believe it doubled in a period of about five or six years. So. Um, you know this this um, 
at the center of this, at the epicenter, is really this this government, this bond bubble. But then at, on on the edges, we've we've had all these other bubbles um, that have taken place. You know, you have um, corporate bonds, you have high yield bonds, which are now low yield bonds. Um, you have cryptocurrencies. I think non fungible tokens, SPACs. Um, you know, the money losing. Um, Money losing IPOs, 80% of the, the IPO crop are, are losing money, oh. uh, similar to 2000. So, you know, those are the, the types of things I think, you know, neomania is another thing that you see, this infatuation. You know, bubbles bubbles tend to attract younger people and mm -hmm. um, younger people, uh, they don't have the gray hairs that, that you and I do. And, and so they're not held back by that. And um, there's a there's a very strong belief in uh, in anything that's new right now. That's that's another aspect of this bubble. Mm -hmm. And a lot of young kids are coming in the, for the first time, and they're taking their their two thousand dollar checks or whatever they get from the government, and and gambling with them in the markets. I guess too, right? Yeah, I, I know you 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 hear so many anecdotes. You know, friends whose daughters are in college and. They're, you know, they're wanting to borrow money from daddy so that they can, they can day trade. And it's yeah. just, you know, it's kind of head scratching, but, um, this is, this is where we are, you know, after a, a long bull market, um, we, uh, we get, and of course it's been backed by this belief in the fed put the, this, um, mm -hmm. conditioning that's been taking place over, over a decade that, you can't lose. I mean, all you have to do is front run the Fed, and and uh, it's it's a uh, it's a no lose situation. So right now, everything is going has gone parabolic. Um, I, I was going to say it's going parabolic, but it, that's really past tense. I mean, it mm -hmm. went parabolic, and the height of the of the frenzy was really in um, in mid February, mm -hmm. and you know we've had whether anybody is paying attention or not. We've had a, a extreme bear market, or at least call it a correction, an extreme correction in the most speculative areas over the last three months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I guess we have, and um, you know, it's uh, it, 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 as you say, it's that Fed put. Now, so people are putting their faith in government, and government, I guess, they include in their minds the the Federal Reserve uh, to finance everything. We're you know, you said that the at the center of this, at the epicenter, is the government bonds, the treasuries. And as I look at it, Kevin, you know, for the longest time, for decades after we went off the gold standard and started counterfeit money policies, we could get away with it because foreigners were willing to buy treasuries. And now as I look at the data, it seems as though that's no longer the case. It seems like the only real serious buyers of U.S. treasuries right now is the Federal Reserve, and pension funds, a little bit banks, tiny, tiny bit of individuals. So doesn't that mean that all the trillions of dollars that the Biden administration is spending now are going to have to continue to be financed by, uh, by printing press money or interest rates are going to rise and uh, that's going to be, you know, probably wreck havoc on the, on the asset markets uh, or uh, or, or interest rates rise and they print a lot of money anyway, maybe like the 1970s. I remember it very well. You're a lot younger than I, but I remember it very well as a young person, the double-digit inflation of the 1970s. Their interest rates were rising. Gold was going up even faster. The Fed was behind the curve. They, uh, interest rates were going up, but not as fast as inflation. 
do you think that's a scenario that could that that we might be looking at a, a like a 1970s um, type of scenario? I think we have a, a number of possible scenarios, and that's what makes it, it very interesting and challenging as investors. I mean, I can see the inflationary scenario, which is certainly seems to be playing out right now. Um, I also see the possibility of this massive bubble bursting, um, which would be, in some respects, almost deflationary. It would mm-hmm. certainly be asset deflationary. Mm-hmm. And so... What, I guess what I see is, um, you know, first of all, there's been this, the, the marketing push by the Fed has been to let people know that we're in control. Yeah. And what seems to be happening right now is that the, the, the um, it's almost like the French Revolution and, and Robespierre thinking he can control the mob. And the mob is now in control. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could say the mob is out of control. I mean, the mob is really going from one panicky situation to another. And so I think we've, we've already seen the, the sort of the wheels come off the wagon here. And I, what I see is a series of, of panics. And, you know, we had this, let's go back to last year um, when the pandemic hit. And we, you know, first of all, we got a, a, a panic in the stock market. Um, down 33% or so in, in the yeah. S&P 500. There was also a, a sort of that knee-jerk panic into, into bonds, um, into the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a panic in terms of um, the, the uh, what was it, the April crude oil contract settling <laughs> well, at negative negative $40, $40 a, right. a barrel. Um, you know, so we've gone from, from that panic, and we, we had panic – buying of toilet paper, and now we have panic hoarding of gasoline in the southeast. You know, we go from, we're going from one extreme to the other. So it, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, the car going down the down the, the highway, and it's it's uh, raining out, and it's swerving, and the, the swerves are getting more and more extreme. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you know, this thing's just going to start doing 360s. So um, that, that's what I think could happen, Jay. I mean, it, it's hard to really predict, but other than the fact that I think we're losing control and I think that investors and the mob are, are just, they're, you know, they panicked into just these garbage stocks three months ago. Um, could we get a, a panic on the other side? You know, we've got a, a 70% increase in margin debt over the last year. Incredible. So that tells you that the, the crowd is positioned for asset inflation. Well, what happens if we get asset deflation? There's going to be a panic. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think, we, I think we will see that. I think we will see a panic there. Um, I think that we could, you know, Jay J- Powell talks about inflation being transitory. Um, maybe some of the, the real craziness of this, you know, lumber prices going up. Mm-hmm. fourfold or whatever they are year to date um you know it's just crazy stuff adding huge costs to the, the cost of a home um yeah. you know we we could see maybe a, a bursting of some of these little bubbles mm-hmm. but um but then you know i could envision a an extreme bear market panics and all the rest of it and then um there could be a panic in terms of the fed print more money mm-hmm. i don't know how many trillions of dollars they could pay, they could print but you know, we may get a severe bear market, and then we may get a panic on the Fed, and then we get may get a panic out of fiat. 
at some point. Yeah. Um, in that order, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm just mm -hmm. throwing it out there. Oh, sure. But it's um, we're, that's what I think we're going to get, though. It's just a, a series of, of panics and the Fed losing control, and then ultimately, at the end of this, the Fed will will be disgraced. It and just seems replaced. I, I, well, it depends on what that's replaced with, I suppose. But <laughs> you know, be careful what you wish for. Sometimes when things seem so bad, uh, from the frying pan into the fire, however that's put. Um, yeah, I just have to think. I wonder, you know, how high interest rates can go before things start falling apart or start to implode in the equity markets, in the bond market. You know, and and to what extent, if if you know, the huge deficits that the Fed has to somebody has to finance shouldn't be the Fed, but they don't allow interest rates to go to the level that would clear the markets. I mean, God only knows where the interest rates would have to go to clear the market. Right. I mean, with, with, you know, it could have to be much, much higher than it is. Yeah. And there's no way, I mean, if you look back at what, you know, sort of like get up to 2.5% or so uh, on the 10-year, it seems like maybe there's problems. So where are we now? We're two, we're 1.65 or something like that, I think I saw. So, well, I, I think we always have to be careful not to be fighting the last war, and uh -huh. we have to remember that the, the Fed has learned. Of course, they've learned all the wrong lessons, but they've learned from past experience, which has mm -hmm. never raised rates to, to burst a bubble. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't see where short-term rates, at least via the Fed's hand, are going to be the pin that pricks this bubble, Okay. One. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but they don't control the whole yield curve. So I think that that's why we need to be paying a lot more attention to longer term rates. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I think we can pay attention to is that if we go back over the last two bubbles and then, um, and then compare to this bubble, what we got in 2000 was we got a, a warning crack. There's always the, the marginal area, you know, the diciest area that gets taken to the woodshed. And, um, you know, we had that. In, two, in, in February and March of 2000 with a dot-com bubble, right? Mm -hmm. That bubble bursts, and then all summer, the, the market rallies back, and there's this feeling that, okay, the worst is over, this is all contained, and, you know, we learned our lesson, let's just buy Sun Microsystems and Cisco and Oracle, and, and we'll mm -hmm. be fine. And then, of course, that was the false rally, and then, and then everything fell apart after that. Then we have 2007. You had the the um, the first crack was in the subprime market, and those stocks got destroyed. I mean, they got just about wiped out. And this was also coincidentally in February and March of 2007. Again, what did we get? This is contained. Don't worry. Um, and this is healthy. It's a healthy correction. Okay. Yeah. Fast forward the tape to today. We had the same thing, the peak in these meme stocks and these highly speculative stocks, GameStop and that sort of thing, that was in, in February. Mm -hmm. We've already had a pretty healthy correction, you know, the ARK Innovation ETF. Mm -hmm. You know, this stuff is down. You look at her top 10 holdings, they're all down 30, 30 to 50%. Wow. So I think that's telling us something, and I think we need to pay attention. My guess is that we'll see a similar type of, of action where – you know, and we've had this marginal new high in, in the broad broad averages. Yes. But um, everybody's saying, "Hey, this is healthy." They're not. Nobody seems to be concerned about this. But I think mm -hmm. that's what we need to put on a radar radar mm -hmm. at this point. All right. So while everybody is expecting inflation now, they're fearful of it, and uh, I'm seeing a lot of different people like uh, Druckenmiller 
the other day on CNBC talking about his concerns about the dollar and uh, about the Fed not being able, uh, just having to print so much money. Uh, you're saying that's sort of fighting the last war. Let's uh, try to keep an open mind about what could be happening. And uh, so with just a couple of minutes left here yet, uh, I wanted to get into your portfolio, but people should actually go to and subscribe to the newsletter that you have every stock listed, uh, the stocks that you're looking at. I mean, I'm looking at, uh, oh, here's one thing with just about a minute left. Um, ASA Limited, it seems like that's one of your favorite gold uh, gold plays. Why is that? Yeah, um, well, there's been a, uh, a change in management. They outsource management to, um, to Merck mm-hmm. uh, Investments. Um, they uh, actually um, went they they um, instead of being basically a copy of GDX, they decided to focus on uh, the earlier development and production, smaller mm-hmm. production companies, mm-hmm. and sort of carve out that niche. Um, it trades at a significant discount to NAV. It trades at about a thirteen percent discount, wow. and they've put up some great numbers over the last year, um, up about sixty percent. Uh, fees are coming down. I think that that um, it's a closed end fund, um, and I think it can trade uh, right now that thirteen percent discount um, with the the niche that they have. I think that can uh, go away and maybe go to a premium. So sure. you know you've got some optionality there and some leverage. All right. All right, very good. We'll have to leave it go with that, Kevin. Thank you so much for being with us. Very entertaining, very informative, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime soon. Thank okay, you so much. Okay, great. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks, well, that is it for this week. Next week, my main guest will be Michael Oliver, and Lynn Alden will be with me. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 